Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Devin, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, Jim. Out here in Joshua, Texas, man. I got a question for you. I'm looking to do an addition to the house. Uh-huh. And uh, what's happened is I live on five acres in Joshua, Texas. I came into a little bit of money. My grandpa passed away. but And what we're looking to do... I, I want to keep the vaulted ceilings, but I went out and got another manufactured home, and I want to make the one that I live in now a two-story. So, uh, But I can't find anybody that's willing to do it. They're, they're all saying, oh, we can put it next to it, and we can connect you know, both double-wide trailers. But is there any company that you can recommend? Because I want to make it two-story, like one below and one above. Anybody no. you know that would be with it? No, I, I don't. I don't know anybody who would uh, attempt that, and mostly because if you're going to do that, you're you're going to have to build a structure to hold the second one above the first one. You won't be able to pick it up and set it on top of the first one because they're not structurally no. built to be able to handle that kind of load on them. Well, what? Okay. That, well, that sounds good. But there's no one you recommend that I could talk to that could build that. Because I'm coming up with nothing. Everybody says no, and I listen to you every weekend. I thought, I'm going to pick his brain. Yeah. I I don't know of anybody off the top of my head that would do something like that. Uh, I think the first thing you'd have to do in order to get that done is get in touch with an engineer and get plans drawing so you got some structural plans as far as what they need to build. Then instead of just calling and say, hey, I got this idea, I want to do this, now you can say, I've got these plans I'd like to submit to you to see if you would build it. That's a great idea. That's what we're going to do. Hey, I appreciate it, Jim. Thanks. Thank you very much. Devin, good luck with that. You take care. Bye. And really for everybody, if you're going to build something, whether it's a, you know new construction or, or a remodel or anything like that, you really you got to have plans. Now, yes, you can get contractors who come in and, and they do the designs and all that stuff. But if you do it that way, you don't have the ability to submit it out for bids. Because most contractors are not going to give you the blueprints unless you hire them to do the job. Because that's a lot of time and money and effort that goes into that project prior to it ever being done. So if you want to try to put it out for bids you got to get a set of plans drawn first then you've got something to give to everybody and say bid off this and everybody's bidding the same thing and at that then if the contractors see something that they would do differently you can tell them well submit a bid based on these plans and then submit your alternative uh, that way you still have the ability to compare apples to apples. And if you like somebody's alternative, you have the ability to go back to the architect or engineer and say, what about this alternative? And they can say, oh, yeah, that'll work great. Or no, 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 here's why you can't do that. And, uh, you know, then you can make a decision whether you want to do that alternative bid or not. But by having a set of plans that everybody bids off of, it gives you an apples to apples comparison. Then, on top of comparing the prices, please take the time to go a little further. Check references. Make sure they're carrying insurance. Are the employees all subcontractors, or do they have real employees on their payroll? Or are you just hiring a suitcase contractor? There's a lot of things you've got to check into 
before putting the contractor to work. John, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you very much. Sir, I have 50 years of accumulation of grit and dirt and whatnot on my garage floor. Is there a chemical that you can put with power wash to clean the floor, or how can I get my floor clean? When you say grit, I, I'm assuming you got oil mixed on here, and it's it's all just kind of ground down into the concrete. Correct. And oil, oil, and uh, wood stain in the floor. And okay. Battery, battery that ex- fell apart and had battery acid all over the floor. John, are you married? Yes, sir. Your wife puts up with more from you than mine does. Well, she's after me, sir. <laughs> yeah, I just cleaned mine two weeks ago. So, uh, look, truthfully, the first thing you're going to want to do is have to is is totally empty it out. And yes, you, the pressure washer is actually going to take a lot of that off. But if you're getting down to where you're trying to clean off uh, some of the the chemicals and and uh, the oils and things like that, you know, bef- are you going to have that floor? Just are you just trying to clean it, or are you going to put like an epoxy coating on it or anything? No, sir. I didn't want to put anything on. I'm uh, hoping to sell the house shortly. Gotcha. Uh, the garage door floor looking halfway decent. Okay, then scrub it out real good. My thing that I like to use, truthfully, is I'll I'll use the pressure washer in the garage to to blow the stuff off and and get the bulk of it. Then I'll take a very stiff broom and use a good floor cleaner and scrub the floor. Rather than getting down on my hands and knees with a scrub brush, I'll, I'll use the broom to do that. And oh. uh, really just a degreaser-type cleaner goes a long ways for pulling up stuff. I think what you're going to find is where you've got the stains on the concrete, you know, if it's built up on top, the pressure washer will peel that off. You're going to still have marks because it's pitted down into the concrete. The very floor cleaner. Yep. Okay. And and a good degreaser. Now, if you want to get real, and the reason I was asking if you were going to put epoxy on it, uh, any any of the different clean uh, coatings that you put on the floor, most of them call for you to acid wash the floor in order to get as much stuff off it as possible and etch the concrete. But really, if you're not going to put any coating on it, I, I really don't recommend using the acid because it will uh, it, it will kind of scar the, the surface of the concrete a little bit, and there's no need to do that if you're not going to coat it. Okay, thank you very much. You bet. Take care, John. Chip, thank you for holding on through the news. How can I help you? Hey, how you doing? Wonderful. Um, how about you? Not bad, not bad. Uh, what my problem is, I have a water heater. The The pilot plane, uh, flame went out on it, and I got it restarted. I called Whirlpool. It's a Whirlpool water tank, and I got it restarted, but the hot water will not get as hot as it used to. So what can I do to, you know, get that going again? Well, there is a, t- uh, it, since it's gas, there is a temperature adjustment on it. Is it turned up all the way? Yeah, I actually, I turned it down and then I turned it back up. Maybe then, you know, to reset it, but nothing happened. It's still, hmm. it, it's, it gets warm, but it doesn't get hot. And my wife is complaining. So I was 
wonder, you know, because I had a plumber come out, and he's like, well, I can't guarantee to start the, uh, the pilot plane. And I'm like, well, forget that. I'll try to do it myself, which I did. Right. But um, it's just not, you know, and, and the thing's like, you know, five years old. I just got it. So I was wondering if there's any suggestions you could have. Yeah. Here's what happens on some of them. The regulator in there starts going bad. And right. that a lot of times can be why that pilot won't light as well. And if the regulator has gone bad, that means it won't adjust any longer. And so okay. what you'll need to do is actually get Whirlpool back on the phone. They've got a troubleshooting department there. They're going to walk okay. you through the steps to test it and be able to say, okay, this is the bad part, and they'll ship it to you then. Okay, great. Thank you very much. You bet. Take care, Chip. You have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. And a lot of the water heater companies will do that. Now, a lot of the water heaters have gone to the electronic ignition, and so it you know comes on. But yeah, typically, if you if if the adjustment won't adjust where it's getting hot, that's usually in the uh, regulation regulator valve box there. And a lot of times, it's just easier for them to ship you another one than, than it is to uh, try to fix it. And really, that's not something you want to try to fix yourself. You can replace the the whole thing yourself because it's not that difficult but to to try to actually go in and repair one is is pretty tough we're gonna head to colleyville and bob welcome to wbap jim good uh good afternoon sir afternoon hey i wanted to to, to do a follow-up with you i had i called you uh, about two weeks ago three weeks ago and i was convinced i had a um a slab leak and I needed foundation work, and you you explained to me that you do not only foundation work, but also you can fix slab uh, slab leaks. And yeah. your son came out, and I met him at the door, literally with my checkbook in my back pocket, wondering, okay, how many zeros am I going to have to write on this check <laughs> to get get this thing fixed? And I, I got to tell you, he was. He is the most professional. You, you, you are. You raised a good kid there. Um, he, we, we walked the house. We, he listened to my concerns. We, we checked for the the slab leak, and I have a recirculator. And apparently, I've got a, a shallow area uh, in my ah. foundation where it, it it kind of perky. You know, it, it, it the the heat build comes up through. And yep. he said, you know, if you really want a, a pressure test, we can do it. But I really don't think you need it. And then he took measurements around the house, and it was funny because he, he, he picked my living room, and he said, I think this is the high side of the house. And sure enough, it, but everything was within measurement. And he said, no, you're fine. And I, I, I got to tell you, I mean, like I said, anybody else, they, they could have seen my desire to spend money. And he was like, you don't need to. You're good. So I just I wanted to say thank you because that's, that's professional courtesy that just goes above and beyond. And, I, and I, I just want to say thank you to your company, thank you to your son, and you guys are the best. Well, I, I really appreciate you calling in, Bob, and uh, I guess I can take a Due West spot off the, uh, off the logs here now because you did such a great job for us. <laughs> well, uh, well, he told me that you, you went into a, a location one time and you said, you know, I think this is off by about 4.3 inches, and, and you, were, you were off because it was like 4.2 so yeah. I guess it, it the uh, the DNA you know transferred from one from father to son. 
It, it well, you know, it, it didn't all transfer easily. Some of it had to be beaten into him, but it, no, it, he 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 does very good. I actually have another son who is every bit as good, and a and a daughter who's coming up right behind him. Well, you you guys are the most professional company, and I I, I can't say enough good things. And if anybody asks me about foundation repair, uh, you guys are always going to be at the top of the list for professionalism. Bob, I sure appreciate that, and uh, you have a, a Merry Christmas, and, and you take some of those zeros and go buy your family something nice. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You bet. Bye-bye. Ron, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hi, Jim. How are you today? I'm doing great. Okay, good. Uh, well, driving down the road, heard your show. Uh, you seem to have a solid background and foundation, so been in my house since 1999. Looks like the house kind of moved around a little bit, so I'm going to be having some foundation work. But the specific problem I'm calling about today is a crack in the border that was patched to make it through the closing walkthrough on my oh. brand-new home by 1999. I was okay. sitting on my patio weekend to home ownership and looked up over my back door, and a little border patch was falling off. Uh, on the bricks right above the back door, and I got and looked at it closely, and I could see that it was basically just a quick patch somebody did with their fingers and a little bit of mortar material to cover up an already existing crack on this branding home. And over a period of, well, between 99 and now, so 18 years, uh, that crack has grown wider, uh-huh. and it's super ugly. And I'm a fairly mechanical guy. I mean, I'm not a geo expert, but I've seen many foundations for it. I'm an electrical contractor. Yeah. And I can't for the life of me figure out why a brand new home would crack unless there was just dirt on the brick ledge or something that collapsed. Yeah. Well, of- what can cause know. that is our soils are actually very volatile. In fa- and out there in Rockwall, you got a lot of the black gumbo clay soils. When it dries out, and like right now, we're going through a little bit of a drought, the soils can shrink. When we get a rain, and I'm not talking about one that comes and rains in an hour and it's done. I'm talking about one that lasts all day and it soaks down in the soil. These soils are actually going to expand. And so they're always moving up and down. And it, and it can cause movement that way. And I, I, I have actually looked at new houses that were being built. The worst one I ever saw, they had already they poured the slab. Put the framework on it, and you could see where the framers had made adjustments. And now the sheetrock guys were trying to hang sheetrock, and they were having to square stuff up. And the finished carpenters were coming in, putting the trim. And, I mean, it was looking like heck. When we shot readings on it, six inches out of level, and they hadn't even finished building it. it well, that's it, what. It can happen. Uh, now, I will tell you, you know, the average age of a home to show foundation problems is 18 years. <laughs> you hit that magic number. Uh, and the unfortunate thing is most foundation warrants, warranties on new homes expire at 10 years. So chances of you being able to go back to the builder are slim to none on it. Uh, However, if you take care of these problems early enough, most of the time it's not really peers that you need. It's to take care of that moisture imbalance. 
So the reason 18 years is that magic year, that's when trees start growing big enough that they're taking too much moisture out of the soil that it can't compensate any longer without moisture being fed to the soil or root barriers to protect the house part uh, or house side of the tree. Um, sometimes it's a drainage issue where your neighbor's draining over onto your lot and oversaturating soil. So there's many things that can cause it. But typically, if you if you look into it, as soon as you start seeing the issues like, like you were just talking about, almost always it can be handled without doing full-blown foundation repair for a heck of a lot less money than full-blown foundation repair. Dale, how are you today? Uh, good, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I've got an electrical question. Got a new house. Uh, moved in in March. And our lights have been flickering. They dim and go back up, uh, not for a long period of time, just uh, kind of whoa. And uh, had the contracted electrician come out, check it out, says everything's okay. Uh, had an independent electrician come out, said everything checks out okay. Had Encore come out, and they said everything is okay. Good service to the service panel. My question is, oh, and also in talking with the neighbor, uh, he said it seems to be a problem within the neighborhood. Yep. Can you give me any any possible solutions or reasons why this is happening? Well, a lot of times what's causing it is as we're building more and more, we're we're taxing our power grid more and more, and it can't handle it. And it sounds like what may be happening is as everybody's got all these different things coming on, you get a, a sudden drawdown. Uh, it's basically a power surge in reverse. You're you're losing some of your feed, and then it comes back up to normal. And honestly, when the power guys come out and check it, they're normally just checking it that split second. Then yeah, it's running at full power. So hey, it's it's working like it should. They have the ability to put a box on there though, that can monitor it for like a week or two weeks or however long they set it up, and then they can see those ups and downs and that gives them information then how to better regulate the power they're feeding to that neighborhood and so i would push them to to get them to put one of those uh monitors on the house for a couple weeks and see if they can't find out you know what's happening because it is going to be on the power supply and not in the house wiring so that would be encore that would be doing that yeah and they don't offer it unless you ask for it Okay. All right. Uh, thanks for your help. You bet. Take care, Dale. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And again, that that's one of those things where they have the ability, but you know when they do that, one they're hooking it up, then they got to come back and check it, and all this kind of stuff. So it's not something they want to readily do, and it's not something you want to ask for immediately. Let everybody check all this stuff out, but if if it continues to happen. Yeah, ask them to put a monitor on there to uh, follow the spikes and valleys for a little while, and then they can make adjustments. And it may be that you, you know, they got to put some type of surge arrestor on there or something like that. But at least you got the data to to know what it needs. Howard, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, how you doing there, sir? Wonderful. How about you? Uh, doing pretty good under the current circumstances. I just have a quick question for you. Okay. I'm getting ready to lay down some engineered click uh, hardwood floor. Uh-huh. 
And what I'm trying to find out is the underlayment. Is it better to go with the one that has a foil on it or just the regular one that rolls up? Are you putting it on concrete? Yes, sir. Regular that just rolls out. Okay. That's it. Then, uh, now, I want to tell you that they make several different types of those plastic ones that roll out. Uh, the cushioning can make a huge difference on how that floor sounds. They have some that are very dense, and it makes it sound like you're actually walking on a very solid floor. A lot of them will, will give you kind of a hollow sound. And okay. so you, you'll want to be a little picky on which one you get. If you'll stop by one of the uh, floor and decor, uh, they carry all the different ones, and they actually got a sample set up where you can hear the difference. You may want to take a look at that before you get started. All righty. Thank you, sir. You have a Merry Christmas. And a happy you as well. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, and it's amazing the difference the sound will make. They've got the the board set up with the different underlayments, and you can drop a golf ball down on them. And, oh, my goodness, the, the, the sound difference is, is night and day. Talking about house raising real quick. The, the house that fell on Thursday and killed those two gentlemen. Uh, you know... People ask me all the time, and in fact, we had a call a little while ago that asked about it on the countertops. Is that something I can do myself? You always have to remember, as you can do any project you want yourself, as long as it's not a licensed industry like AC or electric or plumbing, but you can do anything you want yourself as long as you're capable and qualified and I, I don't know if if those guys had any experience on house raisings or not or even in foundation repair but it is something that you have to be extremely careful with when you're raising a house uh, safety measures have to be taken like cribbing and things like that because you're using mechanical devices and you're picking up on Natural materials, a lot of time, you know, on, in this case, they were picking up a wood structure. The wood is a natural material. It can have flaws where the wood breaks and, and something can shift and happen. The cribbing is there to catch the structure so people that are underneath can get out if something does happen. And so it's not always are you capable or willing to try a project, but you also have to make sure that you investigate the safe way to do some of these projects. Um in, in talking about the Formica countertops, for instance, proper ventilation is key in that because the glues and stuff that you're using can give off a, a, a lot of odor and some of it can, oh, lack of a better word, make you high. You've got to have proper ventilation to help out. And, you know, these are the tricks of the trade that people learn. And honestly... Saving a few bucks is not worth your life. And so always take the time to check out not only how to do the project, but how to do it safely. And we're all guilty of not wearing safety glasses and, and things like that when we should. And, uh, you know, it's tragic when you get something in your eye and all that, but it, it, it's even worse if you end up dying for from doing a, a do-it-yourself project. And I would never, ever discourage anybody from trying to do your own projects. I just want you to make sure you get the proper information on how to do it properly. George, how are you today? Yes, hey, uh, how are you doing? Wonderful. I, 
Oh, I've got a question. Um, we're both trying to be remodeling our house, and uh, we ripped out all the old floors, and like a lot of folks, we're doing a porcelain wood-look tile over every surface, every, and it's one-story ranch, so it's all insul- installation on slab. Okay. And so I've been told by quite a few of the tile uh, dealers that you must or ought to use uh, like a uh, decoupling membrane like Schluter Dietra or Stratomat or one of those products. Um, the uh, Stratomat's a lot less expensive, but uh, just wondering what you thought. So many of our neighbors just put tile, the same tile, right on the slab and off they went. Yeah. Here's the reason they're recommending it, because they know what's going to happen in the long run. All concrete cracks by nature, and concrete Mm -hmm. expands and contracts. By using those mats down, it gives you a buffer so that when the concrete expands and contracts and the tile expands and contracts at a different rate, Mm -hmm. it doesn't just pop a crack in it. Right. And and that's really what it's for. Yep. Uh, and, And truly, the longer, the bigger... The bigger the area of tile and the bigger tiles that you use, and since you're using those long planks, I highly yeah, recommend like that you do that. Yeah, they're or 48 inches long. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they, they've got them up to five feet now. and They're gorgeous. Yeah. You can't even tell that it's not a wood floor, but, right. yeah, I really recommend that you use those mats. Do you uh, have any preference brand-wise? Uh, the Schluter Dietra is like two, three bucks a square foot or some like, crazy amount. The other stratomats like a, a buck a, a square foot. Uh, truthfully, I don't have a preference on okay. on brand Great. on it. So yeah, I would. I, I honestly, I would probably go with the less expensive one myself. Right. So as long as you have something under there that yeah does the decoupling, and uh, you have a installer that obviously knows how to do it. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, it sounds like it's worth the expense and. Uh, maybe uh, give a little bit of uh, uh, moisture barrier as well. Uh, Absolutely. Yep. So, okay, sounds good. Thanks so much. You bet, and have a Merry Christmas, George. Merry Christmas to you, too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Our house is open due to flooding. It was built in 1958, and the plumbing needs updating. What do you think about repiping? And the reason I went ahead and brought that up, even though this was a Houston call, there's a lot of houses from 1958 that have plumbing issues. And if for some reason you've got the walls opened up, it is the ideal time to replace the plumbing. Now, if I was looking having to replace, and I'm going to tell you when I when my plumbers go out to replace piping in walls, uh, I got two ways of, of looking at things. If the wall is open... I'm going to go with PEX. It's a flexible pipe. It's easy to install. Longevity is excellent. And yes, if you went back 15, 20 years ago, there was some issues with some of the fittings on PEX. That has all been solved. The, the system really works well nowadays. Uh, in fact, most new homes are built with PEX because it will outlast the copper pipes. If you have a you know, the need to redo the pipes and the walls aren't open. Well, then there is a system called e-pipe. 
Uh, Ace Duraflow makes it, and the E-pipe system is basically where they can remove the fixtures. In other words, all the shutoff valves under the sink, remove the valve under the toilet. You've got to open up the wall to remove the the pipes from the valves on the shower and bathtub. Uh, so if you don't have an access panel behind there, you would have to cut the sheetrock. But tip that should be the only places if you use the e-pipe system that you have to cut the sheetrock. And basically what they'll do then is sandblast through the pipes. That cleans everything out, gets all the buildup out, opens the pipe up where it flows like new again. Then they'll blow an epoxy resin through there. It coats the entire inside of the pipe so it seals up all those pesky leaks you've been getting from you know galvanized pipes or copper pipes and this is whether you got galvanized pipes in the walls and attic or copper pipes that are running through the foundation this system will work both ways it does a very good job of that uh, so then they can put all the valves back on and, and you're back up running with minimal sheetrock damage so like I say if, if you've got a for some reason have the sheetrock out of the home, use the PEX. But if you're going to have to retrofit, you know, and do a lot of sheetrock damage in order to put new pipes in, take a look at that Aster Flow e-pipe system. It, it does an excellent job. Ken, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey. How are you today? I'm pretty good. I got, uh, got a carport thinking about building on the house out in Abilene. Uh-huh. And I've got uh, some drainage system that's running underneath the driveway. Not sure. I'm hoping I can get some advice from you on this. I've got a slab that needs to be poured on that. I kind of want to do a driveway as well. What order should I do this in? Should I build the carport first and then pour the slab around the base of the footings for the carport? Or should I pour the slab and then put the carport on top of it connected to the house. Well, let me ask you a couple quick questions. When you built this carport, is it going to be uh, one of the metal carports or is it going to be one that's built like the house and tied into the house like a part of the roof? I kind of want to make it, well, see, the, the roof line where it would be built is kind of different because it's basically an A-frame right over the portion of the house where I want to put the carport. Okay. And I would like to extend the carport back a little a little bit forward of the house on the driveway. So the driveway would go all the way to, uh, to the backyard and to the past the gate, basically. Okay. And I, I have a large double gate that would swing open, and I'd be able to drive my car into the backyard. But anyway, I want to have a carport kind of permanent attached to the house, but I don't know how I'd go about doing that since it's the A-frame part of the house. So when you say it's the A-frame, is it the, the side that's shingled that comes down? No, it's not. It's the side where the shingles, uh, basically it doesn't need a gutter, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can still tie it in. You'd basically end up uh, using flashing to tie into the existing area there. Uh, okay. And that way you could make it look like it's part of the, the structure. And if you're going to do it that way, for the section that the, the carport sits on, I would recommend then bringing a, a regular foundation out with beams and, and everything, like a regular house foundation. And now, the your, house is a pier and beam. Yeah, but even, even 
even though it is a pier and beam, the uh-huh. carport can be a slab type foundation. Okay. Uh, because that way it sits more solid and is 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 able to be adjusted if anything ever did move. Where so if, then we you, have... if you put it on drill piers and just the posts coming up, it's never adjustable. Okay. We have another aspect, the drainage system that would be running underneath the slab. Is there a way that I could... See, I don't know... How yeah, this is, the is, is that the is that the uh, sewer system or is it a yard type drain? Sewer, it's sewer. Okay, drain if it is if it is a sewer system, uh, is it PVC or is it an older home? It's PVC. We just recently had it replaced. Uh, it was clay pipe. They ripped all that out. They buried it. I think they put a PVC pipe in there all the way to the sewer. Perfect. If that's the case, you can go right over it then. I can go right over it. You're saying that's fine. Yep. Okay. Uh, you you like got PVC man- plumbing all over underneath the house, so yeah, it would be fine. Now, as far as packing the soil on top in preparation for the slab. Yep. What's uh, what it, what's involved with that? Is there it, a possibility of cracking the pipe or anything? No, because if it's native soil, you're really not going to do a bunch of packing of the soil. The only okay. thing you would pack is if you were putting fill in there. And normally, if you've got, when you're putting fill in, you can do it in six-inch layers, six-inch lifts, so that you can pack it down. Because if you get into like a 12 or or more inches as you're trying to pack it, the, the lower soils aren't packing. It's just dispersing the weight out. So you, you won't have any problems with that. Last question. Okay. I, I have gravel in the driveway already would it be okay to pour a slab over that and just compact it put the rebar and all that stuff over it would it be okay to just leave that there absolutely it It would yes you got good compacted soil there yeah if you want to do it that way that's totally fine you know if you if you ever watch the way they build a freeway that's what they're doing okay is there any particular mix that the driveway needs to be uh, 3,000 psi concrete minimum. Normally, I like to get a 3,500, and then uh, use rebar, no wire mesh. Put yeah. the number three rebar on 12-inch centers both directions. 12-inch centers, and then you elevate it about what two inches off the ground. With yeah, the if you space. yeah put it in the middle of the concrete. And then you have to tie all that together, right? Yep. Okay, this came in from John, and there is a line of green fungus on a second-story wall above a covered patio. What is the recommended best way to address this and prevent future fungus? Is there a particular recommended product or just a bleach mixture? Should it be hand-scrubbed off or power-washed off? I suspect this fungus is a result of rain splatter kicked up on the wall. There is no guttering on the back wall of the house, allowing rain to hit the patio roof cover. Do you recommend installing guttering if this will prevent future fungus? Thanks so much for taking this question. Well, first of all, yeah, if the water's splashing up because of no gutters, the gutter would probably solve a lot of the problem. You're still going to get some rain hitting, but the water that comes off the roof on the second floor that hits that top is more than likely what's causing your fungus problem, like you suspect already. Uh, What you didn't address in here was, is it a brick or wood siding or what the siding is? 
and that kind of makes a difference how you clean it up a little bit. But the first thing I would tell you is there's a product called Spray and Forget. And basically that eats up that stuff, cleans it up, and you can rinse it off or just spray it. And as the bottle, as the name goes, spray and forget. Next time it rains, it'll get washed off. Uh, as far as can you use a pressure washer? Absolutely, but you want to watch it. You don't get overly uh, burdensome with that pressure washer. In other words, like I've got one at my house that I use. It's a little 1,850 PSI pressure washer. That's plenty for cleaning up most things around the house. At work, I've got pressure washers that are 4,000 and 4,500 PSI. I start getting heavy on the siding whether it's wood or brick, I can start cutting it with that 4,500 PSI pressure washer. But with that little 1,850, I'm just cleaning it up and, and making it look good again. So the bleach mixture you were asking about, if you mix a a bleach of 25% bleach and uh, you know 75% water, that will kill the fungus as well and clean it up you'll probably have to do a lot of scrubbing to get it all off or again use that pressure washer either way yeah that should take care of your issues and i want to dive into that foundation versus plumbing issue there real quick before we uh, moved on because I, I went through that pretty quick that does the movement of the foundation cause a plumbing problem or does the plumbing problem cause the foundation to move you know, it, it's what came first, the chicken or the egg. If there's a leak in the pipe, it can cause a foundation problem. If there's movement in the foundation, can it change the drain of the pipes? Absolutely. But normally, because you're picking up the foundation, it doesn't change it where you got backfall. It does just the opposite. It can make it where you actually can have too much fall where the water runs away from the debris. And what's causing all the movement, like I said, is the soil. Because the soils, when they dry out, they shrink. When they get wet, they expand. Well, if the soil's movement is moving the foundation, it only makes sense that, yes, it can move the plumbing independent of the foundation because there is no hangers on new construction. There's nothing to keep that plumbing in place other than the dirt. Now, when you go in and you... Uh, replace the plumbing under a foundation. That's where you're going to actually install hangers and, and all that, and that holds the distance from the foundation consistent. So you, a lot of times, alleviate this problem. And, and I will tell you, if you went back 25 years ago, I mean, they were putting hangers like every 10 feet. Nowadays, we're installing hangers every 4 feet in order to hold the plumbing in place when you do a retrofit. Steven, how can I help you? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm currently looking at purchasing a home in Oklahoma City, and uh, we're in the option period, and the house has undergone an inspection, and they revealed that it had uh, Federal Pacific breakers. I don't know much about them, and I was wondering, should they be replaced before I purchase the home, or should I get them replaced after? You know, it can be done either. I mean, do they need to be replaced? Yes. The The Federal Pacific breakers are notorious for shorting and causing fires. Uh, is the Can I tell you that the house won't burn down tomorrow? Absolutely not. But 
you know, there there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these things out there. And yes, there is a fire every now and then. If if I had them in my house, would I replace them? You bet. Would I let that stop me from buying a house? Not if I got the right price on the house. So I guess what I would say is I'd probably use it as a negotiating tactic, but I'd still buy the house, and if it was mine, I'd probably replace it afterwards. Do you have any idea what something like that might run? How big a house? Uh, it's uh, 2,100 square feet. Um, you're going to be looking at, uh, depending on how where the breaker panel is and all that, you'll be looking at probably something in the three to 4,000 range. Okay. It and might be it less. Also- but it, it probably won't be any more than that. The inspection also revealed uh, some of the house, I guess, had been updated or something at some point in time to aluminum wiring. Is that an issue I should also consider? It was updated to aluminum or the yeah, aluminum was replaced? <laughs> the house was built in 1952, so I, I think aluminum okay. didn't, didn't occur until later on. Is that correct? Yeah, the aluminum wiring uh, actually was in the early 70s. So, yeah, somebody must have changed it out. Uh, truthfully, I have aluminum wiring in my own house, and I don't lose any sleep over it. You just got to make sure that any outlets that you put in are rated for aluminum wiring and that you use, there's a special grease that you use to keep it from arcing. And as long as you do all that, you're fine with it. Aluminum wiring is actually uh, more efficient than copper wiring, the problem with it is it expands and contracts as it as it heats up with the electricity going through it. And so when they first started using it, they didn't use the proper fittings and stuff on it. It started arcing and it caused some fires. It got a bad reputation. It's a, 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 but all our high power lines and everything are still aluminum because it, it does conduct power better. Okay. Thank you very much. You bet. Have a Merry Christmas, Stephen, and good luck with the new house. Thank you, too. With that, it's time to get your final Christmas shopping done. Make sure the tree is decorated and have a Merry Christmas. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com. 